couple of weeks ago, um, I had Mike Jeffords gave me a gift, and I'm going to show that gift to you. And it, it took him a while, so he finally gave it to me, and it's this T-shirt. And it is, in, it is, as you can see there, it says, The Sermonator. So I thought I would grab a couple of my T-shirts. I mean, how many of you have T-shirts in which you have stuff written on them? Huh? How many of you do? Okay, so like just about all of us. And, and so he gave me this, this cute one, and, and I'm not exactly sure what to do with it, because the truth is, when we wear a t-shirt, and our t-shirt generally says something, I mean, where am I gonna wear this? So I thought, maybe I'll preach one day in it, or, or maybe, you know, <laughs> our t-shirts, we want them to say something to the community. Now, sometimes, the t-shirts are not the best. This one actually says, sorry, not everybody can be me. Now, I generally don't, actually, this may not even be mine, but we generally don't wear it a lot because we're wondering what is this actually going to communicate. This one right here, I am proud to wear because it says, great dads get promoted to grandpa. And I just say amen to that. I love it. You will never guess who gave it to me, right? Now, this one, oh my goodness, Eagles, how did that one get in there? Now, this one, again, we want to communicate something with our T-shirts, and I'm kind of wondering, y'all need Jesus. And I'm just kind of wondering, okay, what exactly is that communicating to people except from the fact that they need Jesus? And I'm kind of wondering, well, uh, how tactful can I be in sharing the gospel wearing this one, right? But this one right here, of course, many of us have one of these T-shirts, and on the back, Zach uh, redid our logo, and it's a cross with power lines going through it, and I love that one. It's a good conversation starter, as like this one is as well. It's, this one says, my lifeguard walks on water, and there's a scripture passage in Matthew, what is it, Matthew 14, 22 to 32, and so there have been times in which when I've worn this, people have asked me, so what do you mean the lifeguard? Like, who's your lifeguard? And so I get an opportunity to share with them about Jesus. But the one that I generally wear the most is this one. And it says, Jesus washed away my sin. This one is a great conversation starter. And, and honestly, I get a lot of people saying, I love your t-shirt. And that leads into a conversation. But the truth is, all of us, whether we are wearing a t-shirt or not, we are communicating something about Jesus to the people we, we live with and that we, that we work with, that we go to school with, that we live next door to, something about our lives that communicates, hopefully, Jesus Christ. So I've entitled this message, More Than a T-Shirt Message, because if Christ lives in us, then the message we are communicating is what? It has got to be Jesus Christ, who washed away my sins, yes, who rose from the dead. Amen. Yes. But then the question is, how are we communicating this? You know, for some of us, we just walk around with, with this one right here. We talk about sports and the weather, and, and our Christianity really doesn't get beyond sports and the weather. And, uh, you know, God bless the eagles, right? That's about as far as some of us may get. Uh, some of us, though, we share the gospel very in-your-face and the Lord is still teaching us how to share Christ in a more tactful way, in a way that really seeks to get at the needs that people have, rather than, man, you just need to get saved, you need Jesus. There are times in which people need to hear that, don't get me wrong. But most people, when Jesus, when he proclaimed the gospel, he first came and he ministered to needs. He didn't just come up and say, hey, you need to repent. Repent. 
And then many of us were learning how to communicate the very fact that Jesus washed my sins away. And the very fact that he had to do that means what about you? This is what you needed. You were a sinner. You were lost. You couldn't do that on your own. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, had to take his blood, apply it to your life as a sinner, and wash and really scrub hard your sins away. Amen? And so there's a sense of humility with this. But what I want to look at today is I want to look at this message that we are communicating so that we can become better communicators of this message. Now, we've been looking at the, the book of Acts quite a bit. We have looked at this concept of what Luke means by being filled with the Spirit. We've also looked at how Paul uses that phrase, being filled with the Spirit. Now, Luke, he uses that phrase, filled with the Spirit, to talk about the empowerment of the Spirit. And he's so focused. He's like that. Remember, I used the, the bass player, Brian, when he's playing the bass, like one string, boom, 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 boom. And he does a great job, and we love the licks that he gets in. And, and that's kind of like Luke. And Luke plays that one string. It's the empowerment of the Spirit. That's the only ministry of the Spirit that Luke talks about. And there are many ministries of the Spirit that the New Testament speaks of. But for Luke, it's just that one, that one string that he plays. And it's beautiful. It's awesome. It's amazing. That is being filled with the Spirit according to what Luke focuses on, the empowerment. We can see that in the spiritual gifts we see it in tongues and prophecy and miracles and in the speaking gifts, the preaching of the word and prophecies. And so for Luke, fill with the spirit is the power of the spirit. On the other hand, we looked what was two weeks ago, because Zach did an amazing job preaching this last Sunday. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But two weeks ago, we looked at Paul's phrase, filled with the spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And the the meaning of being filled with the Spirit according to Paul in this passage. And it's the only place in which Paul uses this phrase, by the way. It means to be filled with the Spirit so that we walk in the character of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ. So Luke, his focus is the charisma, the spiritual gifts, the empowerment of the Spirit. But for Paul, it is the empowerment of the Spirit in character, so Luke is charisma, Paul is character, if you want to remember it that way. Charisma or charismata, meaning spiritual gifts. Actually, charismata means gracelets, grace adornments. Because the root word there is charis, grace. And But for Paul, it is not the charismata as much as it is the character of Christ. So what I want to do is I want us to bring these two concepts uh, from Luke and from Paul being filled with the Spirit so that we are able to communicate more than just a t-shirt message, but the very message of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us on the cross. Are you ready? So in Acts chapter 6, we actually see both of these. And you'll find it because Acts chapter 6 is the selection of the seven. Now, we could call them deacons, and it may well be that they performed in the service of deacons. The verb to deek is actually found in there. Your version probably says waited on tables. 
whether you want to call these the, the first deacons or the seven or whatever, that's up to you. That's fine. But here these guys are, and they're being set into a leadership position, and there are only two qualifications for the seven. We read about them in verse three. It says here, brothers, this is the apostles, and they're talking to the people and says, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be, number one, full of the spirit, and number two, wisdom. So full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Then we get a listing of those seven. My question, though, is as we step back, what does he mean by full of the spirit and full of wisdom? Many would say that I was, I am mistaken when I talk about the ministry of the Spirit in the book of Acts, because here's an example in which full of the Spirit means character. I would disagree with that. Now here's why I am. Look at that word wisdom there. Here are the apostles. They're Jews. They're communicating to who? Other Jews. In the Jewish culture, when you hear this word wisdom, what would you probably think of being full of wisdom would you not immediately think of the book of proverbs now if you have read through the book of proverbs answer me this question what is that book about does it tell us simply what is right and what is wrong is the wise man is he simply aware of what is right or what is and what is wrong If you look in contrast to the one who is not wise, but one who is foolish, is it just simply because they don't know what is right and they don't know what is wrong? Now, I'm going to, you can test this, see if I'm right or not, but you'll find that the foolish person, it's more than just what he does and doesn't know. It's the very fact that that's the way he lives. He lives foolishly. He gives full vent to his anger, for example. But the wise man, the wise man is the person who doesn't just know what's right and wrong, but the wise man is the one who lives that way. Jesus said that the wise man builds his house on the rock. It's not just that he knows right and wrong, but he builds his entire life on the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's wisdom. Wisdom, then, is character. Now, Let's just take one step further to test this in James. And you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. But James, this letter specifically, is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And if there is a Jewish book ever to be found in the New Testament, it would be this one. But this is what James says in chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Does that simply say that the wise person knows right from wrong? Or does it tell us that's the way he lives? You see, it's, it's got to be character. It's got to be the way he lives, not just the way he thinks, but the way he responds and the way he walks that knowledge out in day-to-day living. So both Old and New Testament tell us that true wisdom is character. How about full of the Spirit? Now, going back to Acts chapter 6, go now to verse 10. We are now told what it means to be full of the Spirit. And it is not character, that's covered under wisdom. 
Verse 10 says, concerning Stephen, who, by the way, is a man full of God's grace and power and did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Verse 8. Verse 10, as he is defending himself against his accusers, the opposition spoken of in verse 9, it says, but they could not stand up against his wisdom, the, the wise things that he said and did, and, listen to this, the spirit by whom he spoke. So do you see that? The spirit, not how he lived in godly character. Don't get me wrong, I am all for godly character. If, if I weren't, I should not be a pastor and I should not be up here. But the truth is, the character is covered in wisdom. The spirit by whom he spoke. So it's the spiritual gift and it's the spirit flowing through him, moving through him, speaking through him that is now touching the hearts of his accusers. They could not refute the wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. So I hear, as far as leadership goes, there is a necessary dovetailing of character and charisma. Now, I don't know what t-shirt, if we were to use this metaphor, that Stephen would have been wearing. <laughs> Maybe something like, hey, y'all, it's all about Jesus. But he wasn't from the South. Um, but he would, his life and the message that he spoke here focused on Jesus and how the people of Israel had just over and over and over resisted the spirit, resisted those who called them to repentance. And at the very end of chapter seven, they did it again and they stoned him. A prophet, a man speaking by the spirit that they could not refute. So our t-shirt, if you will, that is our life that we are living needs to be empowered by the spirit with the spiritual gifts, needs to be empowered by the Spirit for character. So let's now turn to dig into this some more to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this chapter, Paul has just been spending quite a bit of time, the entire chapter, by the way, talking about these charismata, these spiritual gifts. He uses that Greek word charismata, but he also uses the Greek word pneumatikos, which just simply means spiritual things. That is, their spiritual gifts, yes, that's in verse 1. Spiritual gifts, yes, but that means that they are spirit-empowered. You know what? In our day, it is so easy, even within, especially within the church of Jesus Christ, it is so easy for us to rely on our skills, on our talents, on our intelligence, on our abilities. But these things, these are spirit-empowered giftings. They are, they are spirit things. They're not fleshly or physical things. These go beyond our intelligence. They go beyond your amazing ability to speak in front of people. You know, I have seen I've seen men, women who, who have this ability to speak so well in front of people, but they have refused to be empowered by the Spirit. And, and you, you remember the testimony of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was an evangelist for quite some time, and two women came up to him and they said, you know what, D.L. Moody, you remember D.L. Moody, back in the late 1800s, an evangelist, started um, Moody Bible Institute, but he 
he, he, was, he was preaching, and these two ladies said, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What do you mean? Of course I've been baptized in the Spirit. Now, we learn from the book of Acts that according to Paul, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit does not always take place at conversion. It didn't happen with the Samaritans. It happened between four and eight days later, depending on how fast they traveled. It didn't happen with Paul. He was converted. And we can see numerous reasons why evidences the fact that he was converted on that Damascus road. But it was not until three days later that a disciple by the name of Ananias laid his hands on him. He received his sight and was filled with the Spirit. And filled with the Spirit, we learned, was one of those five synonyms for being baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, certain disciples in Ephesus, 12 of them actually, Paul met and he he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, we learned, and I'm not going to go over this, but we learned that when Luke uses the term disciple, unqualified, that is, no, nothing describing it, disciples of John, disciples of the Pharisees, like he does in his gospel, when it's unqualified, just disciples, he always means disciples of Jesus. And there's never a time in which he does not. So these are disciples of Jesus. We learned that they were genuine disciples because Luke has a phrase, a word that he uses for those dis- for people who portray to be Christians, like the Judaizers of Acts 15, Ananias, uh, the husband of Sapphira in Acts 5, they, he uses the term a man or certain men. He does not use the term disciples for those who may appear to be Christians, but absolutely are not. And so we discovered that these disciples had not been baptized in the Spirit. They had not received the Spirit. Again, Luke uses that term, receive the Spirit, to speak very specifically of that one ministry of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, and not like Paul, because Paul uses the, he speaks of numerous ministries of the Spirit. And Paul, he says in Acts 8 that if you do not have the Spirit, you do not even belong to Christ. And he is talking about the regenerating work of the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, this fact that the Spirit washes away our sins, etc. And And so they use this term, receive the Spirit, differently. These guys in Acts 19, these disciples, then Paul baptized them because they had only received John's baptism and not Christian baptism, just like Apollos in the previous chapter. And then he lays hands on them, and then they receive the Spirit. And we ask the question, did Paul, if, if we want to say that baptism in the Spirit always happens at conversion, Okay, I'm going to disagree with that, but okay. Does that mean then that Paul baptized unconverted disciples, people? Because they were apparently converted before baptism, but then after he laid hands on them, which took place after water baptism, that's when they received the Spirit. And so as we go through this, we realize that these people had been, that the Spirit of God empowers his people, and that the fact that they've been filled and refilled means that they have been filled with the Spirit over and over. And we can see this. So, as we come then to this passage, 
We're talking about these spiritual things, the pneumatikos, the charismata, the gracelets, or the grace empowerments, the spiritual gifts, as we call them. And these things are necessary for the people of God. Can I just encourage you in this way? That when you go out, every time you leave your house, every time you fellowship with the body of Christ, you are asking, God, I want your spirit to live through me. I want your spirit to act through me. I want your spirit to speak through me. So when you, when we encounter the spiritual gifts, and 1 Corinthians 12 is a list, Romans 12 is another one. Romans 12 talks about help, the gift of helps and the gift of service and leadership and teaching. And, and we don't generally acknowledge those as empowerments of the spirit because those are things that we can do without God's help. And unfortunately, in our day, many people do it without God's help. But I'm, our challenge is, wherever, whatever spiritual gifts, whether the list is here, later in chapter 12, Romans 12, that we are seeking to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, some people may be fine teachers. D.L. Moody was a fine teacher. He was a fine evangelist. But this is what he said. When these ladies prayed over me, God changed my life. He said that what happened at that moment was such a sacred experience, I rarely talk about it. That's how he worded it. He said, I did not necessarily feel any different. But this is his testimony. When I went to preaching, I began preaching the same sermons. But what an amazing difference. As not just a few, but now hundreds started coming to Christ. Church, we need to realize that apart from the empowerment of the Spirit, how dare we try to operate in our own natural giftings? How dare I seek to try and teach without His help, without His empowerment? How dare us, how dare you seek to evangelize without saying, God, please, today, speak through me. Speak these words through me. Just this past week, I'll be honest with you, you may remember a friend of mine over at Parks Lincoln Longwood. I've been trying to reach out to this guy. He's a young guy in his early 20s. And God gave, us a, gave me a wonderful opportunity to, I just bought lunch for the two of us about a month or two months ago, and we grabbed lunch, and he shared his, you know, his life story with me. His, his father had passed away three years ago, and how that really kicked his feet out from under him, punched him in the gut, where, you know, you, when you, when that happens, don't you feel as if you, you get the wind knocked out of you? And for one year, he, he was just in a daze, deep depression. And he began to step out of it. And I had an opportunity to share the gospel with him. But since then, to this past week, there's been like nothing. No opportunity, like two ships passing in the night. And I'd just been praying every week. I started having people pray. So many of you prayed for him. His name's Ian. And this past week, on Friday, God gave me an opportunity. And the door just opened. The Spirit of God had originally, the week before, had me ask him a question about what I can pray for him. And that then opened the door to talk with him again this past week. And I said, Ian, listen to what I'm saying right now. Because he had shared so many things that God was doing in his life, like breadcrumbs that God was laying out for him as he was following. And I said, what a tragedy, wouldn't it be? 
if you discovered all of these breadcrumbs, if God purposefully went out of his way, so to speak, to lead you to his son Jesus, but you never made that final step to give your life, to surrender your life in faith to Jesus Christ, wouldn't that be a tragedy? I mean, your little tiny life here, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life here, impacts your eternity. But if you miss it here, Ian, can you realize you're going to miss it there forever? And so I just, God just gave me a challenge to him. And it was not like this t-shirt here where I was saying, y'all need Jesus. Ian, you just need Jesus. It was more than that. And as, as God just began to touch on some needs in his life. And, and I'm sharing this with you because every single one of us, D.L. Moody, myself, all of us, we need this empowerment of the Spirit that is supernatural, that goes beyond our skills and intelligence and abilities. And it's the Spirit of God operating through us to minister to other people. But as we come to this verse now at the end of chapter 12, it says this. Paul, as he's been talking about the spiritual gifts, he comes down to this. Verse 31, but... In view of all that I've just said about the Spirit, the Spirit of God moving and working through you, but eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And for 12 verses, 13, 13 verses, excuse me, let me just, yeah, 13 verses. An entire chapter, he talks about this most excellent way. Do you know what that excellent way is? Is that excellent way uh, an ability to just speak so powerfully and forcefully and persuasively to people come to Christ? Nope. Hey, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but let me give you the most important thing that you will ever discover in your walk with Christ. And it's not about spiritual gifts. It is all about love. Love is the character. So let me, let me word it this way. The character of Christ is the message that we are bringing to the people. It is the love of Jesus Christ that shines through you. It then is portrayed in the words that you say, seeking to minister to their needs. But that love, that message is communicated through the conduit of spiritual gifts. Whether it's a speaking gift or whether it's a serving gift, that is only the context. That is only the medium through which the, the love, the truth of Christ's love is being communicated through you. Now it goes through this entire chapter talking about love. So significant it is. He says that if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm like a resounding gong. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all knowledge and I can fathom all mysteries, but if I don't have love, he says, I gain, okay, then he goes on to say, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. This is the significance. This is the centrality of this message of love. So I, I, I just began, as I was praying for Ian, I just said, God, show me some of his needs. And that's why that week ago, God said, ask him what you can pray for. 
So I know that there's a need there. I actually know there's many needs. And so I just, every time I go in, I say, God, show me how the love of Jesus operating through this fallible creature here can in some way minister the love of Jesus to this young man. I hope one day we'll see him. Don't go run into him and say, Pastor Mike preached a sermon about you. Please don't do that. But if he finds out, I think he'll be okay with this. Because, church, that where Ian's at right now, that's where we all were at one time in our life. We were without Christ. We were, we were searching. And he's open. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm searching. I don't know exactly who Jesus is, but I do want to know. And so, as Paul then, as he lays out for us this message of love and how we are to live it, he then goes on and he starts with chapter 14, verse 1. And he says this. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Let me just read that again. He says, follow the way of love. That word follow is the word pursue. It actually let me, let me get my, okay. It actually means to run after, as in hot pursuit. It's translated many times, not just pursue, but it's actually translated according to context. It's the word persecute. So when someone pursues you, and they're in hot pursuit after you, and they're seeking to do you harm, that's persecution. That's how intense this word is. But in this context, it does not mean persecute, but it means to pursue, to pursue with, with an intensity, to pursue after, to run after. So love is something that we, 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 long, we long for, that we want, that we, we pray for. And, and it's not just my love. This has got to be supernatural love. It is, it is the Spirit of God loving through you. And, and I don't know about you, but I know me. I'm a selfish person. I really am. And I know for me to actually love like this, it has got to be the Spirit of God. And so I regularly pray, God, I truly, I know how to love according to here, but there's something in me in which sometimes the wires get crossed. And God, I need you. I need your Spirit to supernaturally love through me. And, and now, my wife, I'm sure she doesn't have to pray that as much as I do. She, there's just some, the Spirit of God, maybe it's just because she's just so filled with the Spirit so much more than me. But the Spirit of God loves through her. I know for me, I've got to pray that all the time. God, love through me. Show me, show me people's needs. Show me how to pursue that and, and care for them and ask them what their needs are and how I can pray for them. And, and God, I need you to love through me. And I'm going to encourage you, ask God that as well. So, he then, he then goes on to say, so pursue the way of love and then eagerly desire. That Greek word is zelao. We get the word zeal from this, be zealous for. So it's very fairly translated, eagerly desire. Some of you have asked me, well, Mike, I, I, I want the gift of prophecy or I want to operate in the, I want to have the gift of tongues. And I would say, well, Scripture very clearly says here, then eagerly desire it. There's nothing wrong with desiring and praying that God would give you a gift. And, and the truth is, sometimes when God gives us a gift, we fail to ask Him for it. 
again and again. As if, well, this gift is mine, and so why should I need to ask him? Well, I don't know about you, but I, I need God's regularly anointing. And the gifts that he's given me, I need his help all the time. And I, my heart needs to be submitted before him. So if you're eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, I'm going to encourage you, pray for those gifts. Pray that God would operate through you. And then he says here that these spiritual gifts, and I've covered this, these are the charismata. He goes on and he says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, next week we're going to be talking about the gift of tongues. And there's a lot of confusion out there as far as what the gift of tongues is and what it is not. We're going to be looking at that. And how does it operate as we're ministering to people? How does it, how, what actually took place there in, in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the book of Acts? What's Paul talking about here? Because he talks about the gift of tongues a lot in this chapter. What would that look like? How would we, how do we operate in it? And then he says, so the, the gift of tongues, he says speaking in tongues, it, it's, it's speaking to men, not to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their what church? For their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. That is, speaking in a tongue without an interpretation. Well, he goes on here, but my point is that not just prophecy, but it's all spiritual gifts. They seek to encourage, to build up, to comfort, to strengthen. You know, so this past week, last Sunday, Zach preached. And you might remember the title of the, the, the title, well, the message was shame minus, um, no, excuse me, excuse me, weakness minus shame, I've got it written down here, equals delight. There we go. Weakness minus shame equals delight. And so we walked us through 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in which Paul is saying that he actually delights in his weaknesses. But the reason why we don't, and this is an excellent point that you brought up, is because our weaknesses generally are coded in shame, where there's something shameful about them that God wants to extract from us so that we can actually delight in our persecutions and our hardships, in your own personal weaknesses. And then when we are weak, then we, it forces us to rely upon God so that we are now strong. His grace is more than enough at that moment of weakness so we can embrace these times in which we are weak with actually, actually with delight. And so I believe God spoke through him, spoke through Zach to be able to communicate truth, communicate love, communicate with the spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. I don't know, uh, this last week, Jeremy ended up in the hospital. How, how many days straight were you vomiting, bro? Like six days? About a week straight. Not able to keep anything down. Uh, we thought that he was out of the woods uh, several days before he went into the ho- or the day before he went into the hospital, actually, and, and then it came back, and I didn't know that he was in the hospital. Um, you communicated with Nathan Andrew, I guess, and Mike and Sarah found out, but Nathan Andrew had work, and Mike and Sarah said, look, we're just going to go in, 
found out the name of the hospital, went in, visited Jeremy, had an opportunity to pray over him, and so Jeremy now comes out of the hospital. The next, that following Sunday, so last Sunday, Nathan Andrew comes up to me and he says, Pastor Mike, Nathan Andrew is having some really serious side effects to the, what it seems to be from you know, vomiting so much. And can, can we just go over to him and be with him and pray for him and talk with him? And so I said, well, yeah, okay, so we can leave here at 1230. We scheduled it out. And God is really burdening Nathan Andrew's heart for Jeremy. And I said, okay, I am super busy. I'm, I'm a pastor. And, and I, so I went over to the visitors. I greeted them. Hey, how are you doing? Da, 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 da. Okay, let's go, Jeremy. And, and out the door we were. And God just spoke a truth. I, don't, I, I am not a doctor. And God just spoke something. And I said, you need to look into this. And when he felt it was, it was protein. I had no idea. Okay, God just revealed this. He needs to be eating protein. And so as soon as he did that, then he said he felt 10 times better. He felt like a totally new person. And all those symptoms just immediately went away. And through the compassion in Nathan Andrews' heart, God ministered to, to Jeremy. And, and it sounds like God has just been continuing to minister to you, huh? And really uh, form Christ in him and such. But I, I'm sharing this because as a body of Christ, God desires to work supernaturally through us so that we are not just communicating with spiritual gifts, but that message is the love of Christ. That message is more than just a t-shirt message. It's more than just a cute, trite saying. It is the love of Jesus revealed in the form of a spiritual gift that when the Spirit of God empowers and uses, has the ability to bring healing beyond what I can do, beyond what you can do naturally. And so I'm going to encourage you, church, let's seek God. Let's eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but let's recognize that we must pursue love. Love flowing through these spiritual gifts. And as the Spirit of God supernaturally loves through you, supernaturally works spiritual gifts through you, we are now communicating a message to this world as an empowered people by God's Spirit to win the lost, to be able to see God do amazing things far beyond what we would be able to do in the natural. And, and for some of us, what we need is maybe we need to be convinced of this. Maybe God needs to put you in a place of weakness in which you need to do something and you know that you can't. You need to say something and you know that the words aren't going to be there. You need to operate in a way that is so loving that's beyond you. And as you seek God and you surrender to him and say, God, I am now in a situation where I need to do something or say something and I know I can't. And when you are face to face with your weakness, that is the perfect opportunity in which the Spirit of God will anoint you and supernaturally love through you and supernaturally work through you. Now, I want to take you, I'm going to conclude with this. I want to take you to the book of Ezekiel. You don't have to turn there. I've touched on this months ago. But in Ezekiel, in his vision of the temple, he sees... God himself, he calls it the glory of God. And the glory of God comes 
And he even talks about how he comes into the temple mount, into the temple area through the north gate. And he says he fills the temple. Let me just read it to you. It actually mentions it in chapter 43. I'm going to read the one in 44. He says, then the man, and this is an angel, then the man brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked, now this is what he sees. I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord and I fell face down. Now we've, we've talked about this. This temple is not a physical temple that will someday be erected on planet Earth. This is a picture, first and foremost, of Jesus Christ, the temple. Jesus said himself, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. So first and foremost, this temple is symbolic of Jesus Christ. And secondly, as you go through the entire New Testament, from uh, in all of the letters, that phrase, the temple of God, refers to the church. It is now us. It is now God, Jesus Christ, living in us, and we have become a holy habitation for God himself. So here's what, here's what Ezekiel is picturing. He is seeing thousands of years down the road the church of Jesus Christ and in chapter 40, we actually sang the song about the river of God. And in chapter 47, that river flows out and he walks across. It's ankle deep at one point, a thousand cubits later, knee deep, a thousand cubits later, waist deep, a thousand cubits later. It is a raging river that he cannot stand on his own. And that is a picture of Pentecost in which the Spirit of God empowers his people so that they are no longer operating in their own personal talents and abilities alone, but in the empowerment of the spirit and and it's many of us we, we operate in that knee-deep water and, and Ezekiel's in communicating to us no go into that deeper water and so from this temple now flows this amazing powerful life-giving river the spirit of God and now as God visits this temple it is filled with the glory of God and the glory of God, we, we encounter it in chapter 1 of Ezekiel, and we see it sporadically throughout the entire prophecies of Ezekiel in his book. But this glory of God now fills the temple. The glory of God fills his church, you and me. The glory of God fills us. And Ezekiel's response was that there was no longer any strength in his knees. And he falls down in worship before God, before this the temple in which the glory of God is visiting with such amazing presence and power. In 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to look at that probably in two weeks, in which as, this, as the body of Christ is moving in these spiritual gifts filled with the power of God in character and the power of God in the spiritual gifts. He says the unbeliever listens and he is cut to the heart and he falls on his face and he says, surely God is among you. Church, may there be something in every one of our hearts that says God you have put me on this mission that is so far beyond what I am able to do. I am so desperately in need of you, your supernatural love, your supernatural abilities and empowerments. Would you live through me? 
that, when God does that, that is the glory of God manifested in his church, in his body. I'm going to have us close in prayer right now. And if we could have the children come in for communion. As we close in prayer, could we kill the lights? Could we just be really honest with God where we are at in this? Can we just honestly confess to God our self-sufficiency and how we constantly rely on our own abilities and insights, maybe even our own skills, and that God would bring us to this place of total and complete dependence upon him?